0: And now, a faux fiction audio production published by Not a Pipe Publishing. Super Guy by Kurt Clopton. Super Guy, the generic alternative. Less superhero hype, same superhero quality. Chapter 10 Most everything physically about Raymond Joyce was small. He was a bit under five feet four inches, like about two inches, with small feet, small hands, and predictably small, beady blue eyes. Just about the only physically big thing about Mr. Joyce was his bright white hair, but only if he allowed it to be, which he did not. If he didn't keep it flattened down with a copious amount of gel, it would rise up out of control like it had a mind of its own, making it way too easy to compare him to Albert Einstein. This was too much of a cliché for Mr. Joyce to handle. Not to mention, Mr. Joyce was, in his own estimation, three to four times smarter than that wacky-haired simpleton, but not in a good way. Mr. Joyce was the founder and CEO of Joyce Industries, a billion-dollar conglomerate that had a piece of almost every type of business a person could think of, and even a few, many people preferred to believe could not and did not exist. However, Mr. Joyce was not content with the large piece of the pie he had. He still wanted more. Much more. Specifically, he wanted to rule the world. Another cliché, like the hair, but true. To that end, A couple years earlier, he had paid handsomely for a special dose of black market super serum. This serum was one of many that had been specifically designed to enhance the brain capacity and intelligence of the subject. However, since this particular focus of super serum production has such a delicate relationship to the brain, there is a much higher incidence of faulty serums. One correlation in the serums was the higher the level of the intelligence pushed for, the higher the chance of the serum being faulty. Mr. Joyce's particular serum possessed one of the highest intelligence quotients ever attempted in the lab, and like many of the serums before it, this one had been detected as faulty and designated for destruction. Mr. Joyce paid a lot of people a lot of money to make sure that serum wasn't destroyed. Instead, it was delivered to him. It's not like Mr. Joyce was a mouth-breathing knuckle-dragger before the serum. He had already built his company into one of the largest and most wealthy organizations in the world, as well as building his own legend as an amazing corporate mogul. In addition to his brilliant business acumen, he was also a bit of a jerk. Mr. Joyce took great delight in squashing whoever or whatever he could during the average workday, but even with all his success, he really felt he could step it up to yet another level in both the evil and genius departments. He was close. He just needed that little extra boost. At the time, Mr. Joyce didn't feel like any kind of motivational book or online course was going to be enough to help him do it. They were littered with positive thinking, anyway. So he opted for the Brainiac Super Serum a little past its use-by date. If it happens to curdle his brain a bit in the process, well, he figured it was worth it. With that step was born Grey Matter, one of the most intelligent and ruthless supervillains ever to have existed. Not that anyone really knew he existed, Unlike many of the supervillains who ran amok these days, Grey Matter wasn't flashy or bombastic. He didn't wear a costume, choosing instead to dress in a nice double-breasted grey pinstripe suit with matching grey shoes, socks, shirt, and tie. And he didn't go on and on about how he was going to take over the world and force its inhabitants to fulfill his every whim. blah 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 Although that was the gist of his plan. Grey matter chose to keep his schemes more secretive, slowly building up his business over the past couple of years in an effort to position himself well before putting his plan into action. And now it seemed the time had come to take some more decisive steps, ones that would inevitably attract attention and finally make his presence known, but that wouldn't matter because it was almost certainly too late to stop him from achieving his ultimate goal of world domination. Well, maybe ultimate is too strong a word. Certainly, it was a goal, uh, and probably the biggie, or at least in the top three. But things had been a bit muddled lately by something else that had captured Grey Matter's attention. Alice. She was a waitress. Grey Matter thought she looked like Audrey Hepburn, playing a waitress. Or maybe some actress playing Audrey Hepburn playing a waitress in a made-for-TV movie. Or maybe some actress playing Audrey Hepburn playing a waitress in a made-for-TV biopic. He had many theories on waitresses, Audrey Hepburn, and method acting psychic channeling, but he generally kept them to himself since he found most people couldn't follow his undeniably genius train of thought, and they tended to look at him funny. Alice was a good example of what many so-called experts thought plagued the typical evil genius. It wasn't because she was a woman, although there were a few proponents of that particular theory, dubbed the Yoko Syndrome Theory, it was because she was a distraction. Some small element that didn't necessarily have anything to do with the grand scheme, but that the supervillain often let disrupt his or her efforts toward the greater goal, perhaps even purposefully on some level. In other words, somewhere deep down in the psyche, the evil genius knew that actually accomplishing the goal of taking over the world would eliminate their reason for being. Because of this, it had been put forward that they might subconsciously torpedo their own efforts. This theory was explored most successfully by Jonathan Kelp, Ph.D. in his book, What's that shiny thing? How the Black Bard failed to conquer the world. And in the equally successful sequel, Don't Worry World, there are lots of shiny things. Another closely related theory is that it's more about the plan for the supervillain than the end goal, more about the journey than the destination. They tend to create epic, overly complicated schemes that actually put the goal farther from reach and allow for plenty of opportunities for the good guys to foil them. Subconsciously, this is what they want, because whatever setbacks or opposition they have allow them to create other convoluted mini-plans within the epic plan to counter any hero's attempts to stop them. There have been plenty of books written on this theory as well. Most notably, Dr. Angela Larson's The Red Crossbow, How the Evil Achilles Shot Himself in the Heel, And the ass in assumption. Don't start the Rube Gold machine of death. And just leave the room. In fact, the supervillain self-help section in your typical bookstore or online retailer is huge. Usually the second largest nonfiction one next to the regular self-help. There aren't nearly as many self-help titles for superheroes. Probably because they tend to win. Lots of self-aggrandizing memoirs, though. Too many to count. Seriously, it's not like any of them overcame incredible challenges or prevailed over really difficult odds in childhood. They just stuck something shiny on the end of their finger. Gray Matter's personal torpedo, Alice, worked in a small diner across the street from his office, which was the penthouse floor of the tallest building in Milwaukee. And he tried to make the trip across the street at least once a day. When he couldn't make it, He often sent several employees to eat there, during which he insisted they subtly try to discover whether or not Alice liked him. They were to casually mention his name in her presence, see how she reacted, and report back. There usually wasn't much to report back since the employees had taken to being extremely subtle in their inquiries, if they inquired at all. It was generally deemed better to come back empty-handed than to risk doing something wrong, like Bob from accounting. He had managed to strike up a very engaging conversation with Alice one day and had foolishly gotten her number. Needless to say, he didn't make that call, or any other call, nor was he ever seen in the accounting department again. One of the rumors floating around Joyce Industries had Bob being transferred to the Murmansk branch and being killed in a glacier collapse shortly thereafter. That's one of the more optimistic rumors. Very optimistic considering the truth. At the moment, Grey Matter was seated at his huge mahogany desk inside his cavernous penthouse office. The size of the office and its furnishings were interesting choices by Grey Matter, since they seemed to accent his diminutive size even more, but he considered it a challenge, a reminder of what he was up against. Others might say this was just another example of how supervillains get sidetracked with meaningless trivialities. Grey Matter would no doubt dispute that assertion and would try to have those said others eliminated in devious and overly complicated ways that undoubtedly had to be completed before the next phase of his plan could continue. Irony schmirony. There was a knock at the door and Grey Matter's chief assistant entered walked the rather long distance over to the desk, and stood waiting. What is it, Alex? Asked Graymatter, without looking up from the papers he studied.
1: Sir, the mayor's press conference will be starting in less than an hour. We need to notify our operative whether or not to proceed.
0: Graymatter set his papers down and looked over at one of the far windows and thought,
2: well, we've done our best to confuse the powers that be, and while they may not know exactly what's happening, they are suspicious. I didn't want it to come to this so early, but we have no choice. He has to be eliminated. And conveniently, by the time they replace him, it will be too late. Tell a man to proceed.
1: Yes, sir.
0: Said Alex, turning and heading for the door. He only got a few steps away.
1: Uh, Alex, sir, did
2: you go to lunch today?"
0: asked Grey matter, although he knew the answer, since he had ordered Alex to eat at the diner.
2: Yes, sir. Was Alice working?
0: Another question to which he already knew the answer, since he had cameras installed to watch the diner, besides having
2: memorized Alice's hours. Yes, she was, sir. Did she, I mean, did, um, by any chance, did I, my name, come up at all?
0: He didn't know the answer to that. He had stopped short of putting listening devices inside the diner because he thought that might seem creepy.
1: No, I'm afraid not, sir. Although, it was fairly crowded in the diner today, and she was rather busy. Hard to make extraneous conversation, considering the circumstances, and I didn't want to seem obvious.
2: Yes, I see. Absolutely.
1: However, it did seem that Grace had some extended interaction with her. Perhaps she has something more useful for you?
0: Grace worked in legal, and had turned Alex down for a date. She had been at lunch, but hadn't spent any more time than anyone else talking to Alice. Still, she did turn him down.
1: I was a few tables away, so I don't know what they were talking about. But it seemed like more than just an order for a salad with dressing on the side.
2: Really? Grace, you say?
1: Yes, sir. From legal.
2: Excellent. Excellent.
1: If that is all, sir, I'll go give the order for the mayor's press conference.
2: Yes, yes, that's all. Thank you. Oh, can you have someone from Legal stop by? I want to go over some contracts. Perhaps grace?
1: Yes, sir. Right away.
0: Said Alex. He turned and left the room with a smile. You have been listening to Super Guy by Kurt Clopton a faux fiction audio production published by not a pipe publishing look for the sequel to super guy coming this september this recording characters and the situations within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright if you wish to listen to more episodes in advance search patreon.com then faux fiction audio and sign up to be a monthly patron or stay tuned until the next week for your free episode We will see you then.